0: In This week's episode of Studio Inter, we'll be previewing the Derby della Madonnina. We'll be talking uh, Inter Legends with Chris Smith. This week's Moratti, Moji and Frog. Uh, new book raffle and much, much more. Everything here on Studio Inter, only on sempreinter.com. Ecco Perisic, uno contro uno. Gioco di gambe, guadagna al fondo, il cross, <laughs> icardi. e' gol, e' gol, e' gol, e' Maurito il bambà!
1: Sono i blocchi nell'area di rigore, arriva
0: la palla, la prende Messino! La prende Messino, che segna solo contro le Romane e segna il gol del 3 Per una vittoria eccezionale, eccezionale! Welcome to another edition of Studio Inter. I'm your host, Nima tavallaj Rudzari. W- wishing everyone uh, a welcome to another edition, but a special welcome to all our new listeners from Beyond the Pitch Media Network. Uh, some of you might have known, uh, Studio Inter has now... Uh, decided, we've joined a partnership, we've, we're, we've got a partnership with Beyond the Pitch Media Networks, which means that our, our, the, the Studio Inter pod will also be hosted on all of their platforms. So aside from our own platforms, the Forza Italian Football uh, platform, and now Beyond the Pitch uh, as well, we're very excited and happy about that. Uh, and uh, we've got a very special episode uh, this, uh, this week to, uh, to highlight that. Uh, but before we get into all of that, let me welcome our uh, panelists, starting with uh, the preview writer and the preview expert at sampling Mr. Mohamed nassar
2: Hey everybody, uh, great to be back once again. Looking forward to hopefully what pro- should prove to be a very exciting week for all Interistia in around the world.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. And c- returning back, the prodigal son, the long lost, uh, <laughs> the long lost uh, member of Studio Inc. that hasn't been, in, been on for a long, long time. Uh, he's part, he runs the Twitter account for Estefan Samadolina. He's also a staff writer at simply.com. Welcome back, Mr. Well Beckman i have come home <laughs> we're good we,
1: we are, good happy, to have,
0: we are yeah. happy to have we are happy to have are you welcome back home welcome thank you home.
1: i hope everyone still remembers who i am it's
0: been a while <laughs> yes <laughs> i am it's not easy to forget forget you um, <laughs> 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 right let's um let's get going um uh, let's start. We, we you know, la, international break um, meant a lot of things, but above all, it also meant that Inter uh, that Inter were able to rest. Inter players were able to rest a little bit. Ahead, of a very very difficult uh, schedule coming up, starting with the Derby della Madonnina on Sunday night, 8:30 p.m. at the Stadio Giuseppe Meazza, in Milano San Siro district. This is a derby that I have that I am dreading a little bit. Um, I'm going to tell you why, and then I'm keen to hear what you guys think. Because everything is speaking for Inter, and the derby logic, as I know it, is that it's upside down world. League table positions doesn't matter, form doesn't matter. The derby is a special game. The dar- anything can happen in the derby, and to me, I'm I think everything is speaking for Inter for an Inter win, which is exactly why I'm scared. Um, am I being very superstitious or paranoid, or what do you think, Emo?
2: No, look, I I agree. Uh, normally, uh, it's uh, um, it's like you said, it's uh, counterintuitive. You know, uh, we're doing well. We screw up at the derby, whatever. But you know what? I I we we've spoken about this before. I just have faith in this project now. I think. We, we, we can take we can take the team for what it is, and this team is a team that's firing pretty much close to uh, its potential. And uh, like you said, the international break has allowed us to rest a lot of critical players. Thankfully, no one has had to has been forced to make uh, ridiculous trips too far away. So no, I think I, I, you know I don't want to I don't want to come back and bite my uh, bite my words or whatever, but. I'm, I'm positive, man. I'm positive. I think. I think, like you said, everything is pointing towards an interwin. But in this particular case, I think it's it's the only logical conclusion. So uh, I understand your apprehension, and I would have uh, shared it many, many times over the last few years. But in this particular instance, I think uh, I think I'm positive too
0: well uh, will. Um, uh, this this past few weeks uh, in Italy, uh, the Italian press and the Italian uh, journalists have all been saying that well, Inter are play more are, are the bad guys in terms of physicality and in terms of being much more cynical. Why Milan play the good football? Uh, this is the narrative they've been going with. Um, first of all, do you share that narrative, uh, or and secondly. Um, does, how do you think, if it, if it were to be true, how do you think that this will manifest itself on, on Sunday? Will it be true even in the Derby?
1: Well, I don't, uh, I don't disagree entirely with what they're saying. I agree that I've seen a lot of that this week. You've had you know, Milan play the good football into other physical beasts who are going to you know, bite you and, but not necessarily uh, enchant you. Um, I think there is something to that. I think this team... Uh, in I'm referring to, are not built to play great football. I think when you when you get rid of uh, when you get rid of Cansella, when you get rid of Rafinha, uh, and you bring in you know Nainggolan, and you bring in Keita and Politano, you know they're not they're not sort of conducive to a great style. I think this is a team with a lot of solutions. Um, that's the way I kind of see it. Players who individually can pull you out of a hole. Uh, and can give you sort of a, a burst of uh, something. You know. It's, I just, But I don't think this team is ever going to play particularly brilliant football. So I think in that sense, uh, yes, I do agree. I also think, uh, I must admit, I haven't seen a huge amount of Milan this season, but I have heard, we heard from, from James Horncastle last week, that uh, they play very good football, uh, and that perhaps that's a surprise, given that, you know, if you're going to... If you're going to depict one of these two sides as a a sort of a a nasty, snarling, growling beast of a team, you'd expect that to be the team managed by Dino (laughs) Gattuso, not the one managed by Yulchano Stalopsy, who was always known for his team's playing great football, but football is is weird like that. Um, So, yeah, I I wouldn't go too far. I mean, obviously, you have to find an angle as a journalist. That's quite a good angle. So you're going to try and push it a bit. you need black and white. You need contrast. So I'm not surprised that's the line they've gone with. Um, as far as how the game will, as far as how the um, how this will affect the match on Sunday, I don't think it's. I don't necessarily think it'll be too dissimilar from from last season. You know, I'm, I'm talking about the first derby in particular, particularly in that second half. You know, we were very, very um, under the cosh in certain periods of that second half, uh, but we scored two goals. You know, one was a, we got a penalty and we sprinted away on the break and scored a goal with our, our only goal scoring combination last season. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think it would, I think I expect, you know, Milan are built to play the ball out from the back. Pretty, you know, they're built to, to have, to to be sort of a bit softer. You know, they've not, they've tried to add a bit of, a uh, bit of kilos, as they say in Italy. Um, but, uh I still think predominantly their, their physical strength is not really their defining quality. So I expect a game that will be balanced. But, you know, if, if we're the team that's more ruthless and more sort of aggressive than that, that stands in good set. Because, you know, that's ultimately what a derby is. So
0: I would just say about
1: your, um, your, your concerns, Nima. I do remember we had this exact same conversation last year, before last year's derby, and we won that derby, albeit we nearly didn't.
0: Uh, see, I, I, think I the... love your memory sometimes, I, I, I completely forgot that, so I, I <laughs> love that I'm... you remember that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I remember everything, I uh, <laughs> do remember the things that matter, but what we spoke about <laughs> on a pod episode last year, which if I remember correctly wasn't even published in the end, because we had technical yeah. issues, um, yeah, yeah you said that, so yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think this is, is just—it's just sort of I don't know. You just hear this all the time before the Derby. Form goes out the window. And zzz, 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 zzz. I don't know. I, 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 you I don't, I don't have really to convince. <laughs> no, because you hear that it's the same every time. It's the same in every Derby, you know. But it's kind of like it's because fans are nervous. You know, they want their it's, team to win. Pre- so, the, uh, you know, pre we, excuse. If, if you know, if we had a sort of a, new, a more neutral guest on, you know, it was saying that I would maybe. You know, consider it, but, you know, it's I it's feel the same way, but I couldn't give you a logical kind of reason for it. Just sort of, well, let, me,
0: <laughs> let me, let me, um, let me explain what I mean. Cause like, well, first of all, it's, it's, it's the reason because Milan, you know, Gonzalo Higuain is a very good golf scorer. Um, and he, he doesn't need, this is the best striker Milan I've had since Ibrahimovic. No one comes close and. He looks to be f- enjoying life together with Suso. Suso, we know, can torment Inter. Um, and Higuain has, has a good record against Inter. So this is... Uh, and, and they've also... Milan, okay, they struggled a little bit in the beginning, but they're looking really, really good. Um, and if they can somehow play themselves around and through Inter's high and first pressure... I think they can really, really, really hurt Inter. Uh, and that's kind of what I mean. But on the, on the other hand, Inter have been producing results. They haven't played really well, well, really at any point in the season so far. Um, and, but, they, but Inter managed to win six in a row. So, therefore, I think that therefore like with all logic all logic should point to the fact that Inter should win because you know it's it's a sign of strength that you win even though you're not playing well whilst Milan have struggled a little bit and now they're sort of Slowly coming into form and they've won matches by playing well. They've scored quite a bit of goals. They have a striker who scores, who who was a, was a, you know, well established goal scorer. And, and so, so it's, so it's kind of that kind of side that kind of gets me that this is, this isn't the usual fans being scared kind of thing. This for me is more the issue of, um, this is more, this is more an issue of actual genuine, um, Concern that I I think some people, you know, I I hope, I I know that Inter Spalletti isn't one of those people, but I do feel that some in the Inter camp, especially fans, might be underestimating Milan. Uh, And I think that would be a mistake. I think that would be a huge mistake. I would say that I don't think this is, I mean...
1: I don't know what, who you've been speaking to, but I, ha- I haven't got the sense that Inter is the team that's expected to win. I, I, I think this is going to be a really close one to court, and I think that's where you would have to distinguish it from last year's Derby, because you know when we came back from the October international break last season, Montella was a disaster. He was on the verge of being sacked. Milan's players had to produce a reaction to to you know stay alive and, and revive their season. That kind of game I was scared by. I just think this is a game between. Two teams who are in a fairly similar situation. I mean, the fact that we're the home team puts a bit of pressure on us, but, you know, I, I don't think there's a, there, a favourite in this match. Um, I think they're two teams that are fairly. We've, we've just said that they play differently, but they're kind of at the same point in their kind of development. You know, they both had a difficult period. Inter's very difficult at the start of the season, and then Milan's after the last international break. But they are both on the way up, and I think a win here would kind of mean the same for both teams, you know, it would be the definitive, <sighs> the only word I can think of is consecration, because that's, that's the word they use in Italian, but kind of the rubber stamping that they're, they're on the right path. Um, we're a bit further ahead, because we've, we've won six, and Milan have won three, but um, yeah, I, I think Milan are very dangerous, you know, Higuain, you know, the fact that they've got Higuain, I mean, that's why I think, you know, you can't really paint Milan as the underdogs here, you know, they have problems, but... You know, I think Inter can get at their defense. You know, I think Higuain could definitely score against against Inter. He's definitely done it in the past. <laughs> he did it the last time he came to San Siro, and that was a little bit painful. Um, so uh, yeah, I uh, I I don't think there's a
0: favourite. Um, Mo, how do Inter have, in your opinion? What do Inter have to do to stop uh, stop uh, Gonzalo Higuain and Suso, who both have been tormenting Inter uh, when, when, play, when when playing against them?
2: Uh, so yeah, before I get into this question, uh, into the answer, I just wanna—I uh, I love what Will uh, said just said right now about uh, this inter team being built to find solutions. You know, after having sold uh, Cancelo and uh, Rafinha, or gotten uh, offloaded Cancelo and Rafinha, and uh, yeah, it, it, it makes—it makes perfect sense. Like, I, I, yeah, very well, very well said, uh, Will um how do we stop uh, susso and ewain uh, i think uh, i think last year's uh, last year's rendition last year's 3 to win the midfield in general was i think it was uh, valero and Vecino uh, uh working in the uh, in the double pivot in front of uh, the defenders um, i think uh, generally uh, de bruyne and uh, skriniar are much more able uh, to handle uh, Iguain's individual uh, threats. So I think, I think nothing, nothing necessarily needs to be made. Uh, um, no, no particular adjustment needs to be made. I think in general, the team is geared more defensively. Uh, the structure is so much more sound than last year. So I'm, I'm not too concerned. I'm not too concerned about... I reckon that Milan will, will probably score a goal. I think Higuain will find, will pop in and, and you know, find a, a, a loose ball that uh, or an early cross that uh, goes into the box or whatever. But I think, by and large, uh, our defensive structure this year is so much more, um, I'd say, organized, uh, well-drilled, and enabled than last year. That, again, I don't want to eat my words, but. I'm not too concerned about Milan yeah. I'm not too concerned. I'm, I think last year's lessons were learned. I think Suso get, getting the ball on the right and cutting in and, and taking a shot from 25 yards is, is just not going to be allowed this time. I think everyone's going to be so turned on and tuned in this time that these mistakes, we, we, we haven't seen them make these mistakes, and I don't think these mistakes will be allowed to happen. Um, so... I think that an individual moment of brilliance from Higuaín uh, should be expected, and, and, and maybe that's why they, we shouldn't expect this game to end you know, with a clean sheet for Inter, but I, I think overall the Milan, Milan attacking threats should be well dealt with by uh, Spalletti and uh, Skriniar, De Vrij, and the rest of the gang
0: well speaking of eating our one's own words um it's um it's it, it, it's it's going to be i think it's one of those games i think this is this is one of the derbies um in my opinion that this this is a this is the most important the most looked sought after derby in in what i in at least half a decade because during this this horrible uh decade that both of these clubs have gone through <clears throat> you know where we where we had one derby when Ranocchia and Philippe Maxess were the captains. <laughs> <laughs> I remember
1: one derby about, I think it was Mancini, when he just come back, the, the, just to give you a sense of the mood around Milan at that time. Gazetta, in the week running up to the derby, they, they actually published an article which was called 10 Reasons Why You Should Watch the Milan Derby. If, <laughs> you know, and some of them, I can't remember all of them, but I think one of them was like, what Hernandez in his Milan derby debut? Oh, we've got a new train line. The metro is working well. You can try that out. Like, we've come a long way in the last four years. No, we really, really have,
0: and it's it's um, it's it's two teams that I mean after Milan after finally Yong Hong Lee left uh, Milan, Milan are finally in the hands of someone a good that's the same. Yeah, no, but it's, to be honest, I mean, we, you know, Italian football is good when it needs needs a strong Inter and a strong Milan, and both of these clubs are finally looking to be on the way up. Um, and Leonardo, as sporting director in Milan, is is a brilliant. It's it's a match made in heaven. We have Ausilio who's been simply phenomenal. Um, it's looking really good on, on all organizational fronts um, uh we're going uh you know there's even talk of the marotta uh the, the beppe marotta thing and I, that's something that i wanted to talk about a little bit later on but before we get into all of that um, i'm keen to hear um, a little little prediction um, from both of you and um, i'm going to start with will who do you think wins who do you score right
1: i think both teams will score uh, so I don't think it's necessarily a problem. I, I think we can win this game without keeping a clean sheet. Um, so I think Higuain will score. Uh, I will, I, I'm feeling a draw. So the obvious thing is to say Icardi Higuain, because uh, that's, that's the angle that has been pushed in Italy, uh, particularly after the last round of games when they were, both, they were both the star players. So I think I'll go for that. But I would say that, just going back to my point that I made earlier, you know, in Italy you have gioco, which is like the, f- the style of play, and you have the giocate, which is like the moments of skill. Inter are giocate and me and I'm not gioco. And in a game like this, I would want, want giocate, I'd want the moments of brilliance that can, that can turn a game in a tight moment. So I, I'm, I'm not pessimistic, is what I would say. I'm not saying I'm optimistic, but uh, I, yeah. I'm not sort of dreading it. That's mm-hmm. what I want to say. Mole? Yeah, I'm uh, going to use uh,
2: you know benign uh, vocabulary uh, in describing how optimistic I feel about this. <laughs> I'm I'm I, I, I'm quite optimistic. I think, uh, like uh, Will said and like I said earlier as well, I think uh, Iguain should should get a goal for them, but I think it's going to be a comprehensive win by us. I think uh, we saw from uh, Spalletti uh, last year that this inter is uh, thrives when when uh, facing opponents that take the game to us rather than sit back and defend deep and I think Milan have no options but to uh try and attack and get something out of the match and that works perfectly for inter and I think um I think they're gonna score a goal let's say either uh either Higuain or uh or Cotrone. and uh we're going to score at least two, maybe three. I think Icardi is going to score a brace and then maybe someone adds, uh, like an Angolan or, uh, or a Politano or, uh, Perisic adds like a cherry on top in the last few minutes as uh, Milan chase and chase and chase and try and get something out of the match in the last 10 or 15 minutes of the, of the match. So I think, I think it's going to be a comprehensive win for Inter. I think it's going to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, like, uh, like Bill said, a game that's dominated by Giocate. So maybe Milan push and push and push and hop and puff and 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 possess the ball, but really effectiveness and lethal, lethality, lethalness in front of the goal is, is going to be dominated by uh, or going to be uh, dictated by us. So I reckon it's a 2 1, 3 1, um, you know, run of the mill win for Inter.
0: Nice one. Um, I want um, El Toro
1: to score, just to say. That's what I want.
0: Um, um, well, what I, well, if we're talking about what we want, that's not, that's not what we <laughs> um, I'm not talking about that when I predict. I'm Go I'm, then, predict the defeat. No, I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I think Milan will win 2-1. I think Higuain and Suso will score one each, and I think uh, that uh, Nainggolan will get one back. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, this is, this is what I think, this is what I think, and this is, this is what, 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 my, what, what my intellect is telling me, this is not what my heart is telling me, this is what my intellect is telling me, that Milan will win 2-1, and uh, it will be Suzu and Higuain, and uh, Inter will get one back and then spend the game chasing it, and then it will, it will end that way, 2-1, 2-1 to Milan. Right, um, as I mentioned uh, in the beginning of the podcast, we are now... Uh, uh, we are now also uh, part of the Beyond the Pitch media networks, and uh, as a way to celebrate this uh, new partnership, uh, we have also uh, we're going to raffle up a copy of World Football Club Crests, a new book uh, written by Leonard Jagefeld Nilsson, where he goes into the history of uh, the football cl- of, of of the crests of, of of football clubs, how they developed through the years, and. Um, uh, we're going to raffle out a copy of this, and all you have to do to uh, win a signed copy of this is to uh, we're, we're we're putting out a tweet uh, with uh, saying uh, we're putting out a tweet tomorrow, uh, or when when uh, when you listen, this the tweet will be out. Um, all you have to do is retweet and follow uh, follow World Club Crests. Um, and uh you uh, Leonor, L- Leonard Leonard uh, will is the one who will decide who wins the signed copy of this book um and uh, it's it's a great book uh, I've read it in Swedish now it's out in English as well um it's uh, I can really really recommend it it's really really interesting um so um, be sure to check that out. We'll be tweeting that out uh, over the next couple of days, and all as I said, all you have to do is to retweet and also follow at World Club Crests, and then uh, Leonard uh, will decide which book, uh, which um, uh, who who will win the copy. And we are now joined by the author of World Football Club Crests. Welcome to Studio Inter, Mr. Leonard Jägerslev Nilsson.
3: Thank you very much. Uh, glad that you're having me.
0: Our pleasure. Well, um, before we uh, before we get into the contest, uh, which I've spoken about uh, to our listeners, um, I just wanted you to uh, uh, explain a little bit about the idea behind the book um, and uh, what made you write it. And uh, yeah, just explain a little bit.
3: Yeah, all right. Um, the thing is, uh, with the book uh, that's called World Football Club, Chris, is that... Um, it began a couple of years ago uh, when uh, I met this uh, Swedish publisher. Uh, well, obviously here in Sweden, and I had a lot of ideas of books that football books and football literature that I wanted to write, and he never he didn't really like any of my ideas. I had like ten of them, and uh, uh, it was you know it was it was just stupid ideas really, and well. I noticed In the meeting with him, I noticed that um, he didn't uh, buy into the ideas that I had, so I just went with my true passion that I thought that um, no one in the world shared, shared with me, and that was the idea of, of um, writing a book about the history uh, of football symbolism and, and the history of football crests and badges and emblems, really and he he re- really liked that idea so so that's where it all began and um to talk about the book more specifically uh it it was released published in Sweden in 2016 and now it's being published uh in English uh, all over the world really and the idea is to um if you buy the book or if you read the book or if you borrow the book in a library or whatever if you read the book you will uh, get an overview of the Biggest and most interesting football clubs all over the world, it's, uh, and, uh, and of their crests and the evolution of the crests. What does a badge mean, and how did came and how was it created, and uh, how will it look in the future? Because when I was, uh, you know, when I was a kid, and when I loved football as I do now, I, I always wondered. What does the crown on, on Real Madrid's crest mean, and why does uh, Palermo has have why do Palermo have an eagle on on their badge, and why does Valencia have a, a bat at the top of their crest? And those questions those are questions I'm I'm trying to answer in this book, really. Um, so if you're interested in in, in uh, Football and symbolism and history and, and well, you know, just football in general, I, I think this might be a book for you. And that was a very long,
0: long answer <laughs> well, that, to your we, question. We like, we like long answers. Um, but if we uh, go into like, a little bit more content, because this is derby week uh, in Milan. Uh, Inter are going to play against AC Milan on Sunday night. So I thought if you could give us a little brief history of Inter's and... And Milan's development of their club crest, starting with Inter.
3: Starting with Inter. Can can I go the other way around, really? Go for it, go for it. Start with Milan. Yeah, I'll start with Milan. Um, The thing is, uh, Milan, um, I don't know, it will be uh, much easier for all the listeners if you have the crest in front of you now, because if you don't, it's going to be pretty hard for you to envision what I'm talking about, really. So I'll give you like two seconds to get the crest in front of you whilst in Milan. All right, now you have got two seconds. And as you can see to the right of the, of the um, Milan Crest, there's a red cross uh, at the right of the, the badge. And many with, many people with English heritage or many English people would probably guess that this is the cross of St. George. And well, it isn't really. Even though Milan was uh, uh, created by uh, English people in, in Milan, uh, it's the cross of St. Ambrose Ambros in English, or am- am- Ambrosio, exactly, Ambrosio, Italian, yeah. exactly, and that's, uh, you know, that's a very famous symbol in, 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 the, in the famous and religious cross in, in Milan, and, you know, it's the, what do you call it, it in English, it's the patron saint of the city? Yes, exactly. Uh, so, many English people will probably be, be disappointed when they understand that this is not the Cross of St. But George, the, but the Cross, Cross of St. Ambrose. And for the first, you know, during the first 40 or 50, 40, 45 years of the club, they only used the Cross of St. Ambrose uh, as a badge or as a crest to, to symbolize the club. And, you know, that's... when you, when you study football crests and football badges, you you understand very very quickly that in the beginning many clubs almost all of them use regional and local symbols as in this case with AC Milan. But during the you know after like 40 years in the 1940s 50s 1940s they the, the badge evolved into something quite like where it is today with the. You know, they enhance the crest with adding the, the, the stripes of red and black, where black, you know, is supposed to strike fear into the opponents, and red is supposed to be, or supposed to represent, the sense of will and eagerness of the players of Arsenal Milan. And during the years, you know, as in many clubs, almost all of them, not, not every club, but very many of them, uh, the crest of Milan has evolved, and um, it took a leap, a very big leap, when Silvio Berlusconi bought the club in the 80s. Because then he actually created the crest that you can see today, or not him specifically, but under his reign, uh, he created a, the, the crest of today. But the interesting story of AC Milan is that they have actually had a crest depicting their nickname. They are, as you may know, called il diavolo, or the devil, and uh, they have actually had a crest during the 80s. Just, just before um, Berlusconi bought the club really in 86, they had a red devil as a crest along with the star, and the star symbolized, of course, that they had won the, the Scudetto at least 10 times. So um, that's basically the story of... Milan, and when they, uh, uh, I can add that when they celebrated 100 years or a centenary as a club, they actually brought back the St. Ambrose crest to wear that on the shirt specifically, um, and that was in 1999. Um. But I think the fun, fun part here is that they actually used the devil as their crest for six years. Um. Well, and uh, if I shall continue to Inter, I guess I don't have to teach you about the club's history. <laughs> but um, obviously, you know, the colors of Inter—they they came as after the, the the founding fathers, you know, left Milan and, and created Inter and, and organized this new club in Milan. Um, the the colors were were a reaction. The the blue color it, w- it was a reaction. Towards AC Milan. If they're going to wear red, we're going to wear blue. Um, So that's why, you know, blue and black uh, depicts the first crest. And the first crest actually uh, was a monogram created by Giorgio Mugiani. And if I'm not ill uh, ill informed, Giorgio Mugiani was one of the founders of the club. Yeah. Exactly. And this monogram, the first, very first monogram that was created in 1908, when the club was born, is very much alike the crest the club has today, really. But Inter's history, or crest history, is much more chaotic than the one of Milan. And uh, that's because, you know, the, the, because of the fascists, really, in, in the uh, end of the 19... 19- 20s and beginning of the 1930s because when Inter uh, well because of the Inter's policy uh, towards foreign players they were uh, the club wasn't very popular among the fascists of Italy and therefore the, the, the fascists made uh, Inter change you know, their name to uh, Associazione Sportiva Ambrosiana and that was in 1928 right Società Sportiva Ambrosiana uh, and with that, they also changed the crest. So from this round monogram into like a square or diamond formed crest with a football in the middle and the name outspelled, uh, the Ambrosiana name, that is. And this lasted for four years uh, until the club took back a part of their name, but then they were called Associazione. Sportiva Ambrosiana Inter, at least you regained Inter, and that, that part of the name also came back into this crest. But, uh, you know, as as the fascists uh, lost their grip or hold of the club, you know, the, the, the name and the badge came back, really. And for 30 years, give or take a little, after the Second World War, the, the monogram was back in different Uh, editions and different versions. And then, in the 70s, the the bichone or, you know, the the snake uh, took its part of the crest as well. So there was like, at the end of the 70s and in the middle of the 80s, uh, Inter was represented by the bichone and uh, many people I, I'm, a, I'm a bit too young for it myself, but many other people you know, that I know who are interisti they grew up with this badge. So for them, the, the badge with the bichone is the, the crest of Inter to them. Mm. And uh, interesting, uh, the, the bichone or the snake has an interesting origins, really, because uh, as the cross of um, St. Ambrose, the bichone is a very important symbol for the city of Milan as well because, um, you know, it represented the Visconti family who controlled Milan in the 13th century. And since then, the, the snake has actually, apart from Inter, also represented the, the dukedom of Milano, uh, the aristocratic family Sforza, and also the car manufacturer Alfa Romeo, Romeo who, which is an Italian uh, car, as you mm-hmm. may know. But you know, with Massimo Muratti and and uh, new ownership, uh, the monogram actually returned to to Inter and has gradually evolved back into its origin, as as it looks today, really. So the one today is uh, the one the club uses today is actually very much like the the original crest that was born in
0: 1908. Oh, so it's a little bit back to roots, uh, back to the roots than the crest.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, this is a very popular thing to do among football supporters and football fans. Because when, when, when football clubs change their, their crest or present a new badge, it often, uh, it often ends with, you know, protests from the supporters and fans, like in the case of Juventus or in the case of, of uh, uh, Cardiff City or, or the case of Barcelona, like a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but when you go back to your roots, as in the case of West Ham or Manchester or, City or Inter, you know, it's, then it's a popular choice because the fans, the fans love their roots. They, they they love their local and regional symbolism and their history. So this is, according to to me, uh, a very smart thing to do uh, if you're a club that wants to change your crest into something else.
0: That's great. And if you want to uh, win uh, a signed copy of this book, uh, you will have to. We're going to put out a tweet tomorrow uh, tagging uh, World Club Crests, uh, the uh, Twitter page uh, for this book. And all you have to do is retweet that tweet and follow World Club Crests uh, on Twitter at World Club Crests. And uh, Leo uh, will choose a winner out of all the ones who've retweeted and everyone who followed. He will choose one, he will contact you, uh, and uh, he will send you the book. Yes,
3: exactly. I will. So just yeah. so yes, go ahead and enter the competition.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much for coming on, Leo. It was great to have you on. And uh, I can really recommend this book. I've read it in Swedish, uh, and I'm sure it's just as good as English. Uh, it's a really interesting book that I can really recommend to everyone. So thanks a lot for coming along and telling us a little brief story about it.
3: Ah, thank you. It was a pleasure.
0: Right, a big thank you there to Leonard Yayhuld Nilsson for his uh, brief uh, uh, explanation of the different, uh, of the development and history of the Milan, of AC Milan and Inter Club crests through the years, where they come from, etc. Be sure to check that competition and his book out. Um, when you get a chance. Now, um, it's time for a, another new segment here on uh, Studio Inter. Uh, as many of you who read, follow the site uh, daily will know, for the past couple of weeks, we've had uh, a series of articles called uh, Inter Legends, where we've uh, highlighted one uh, one one of the glorious players through our glorious history in the past, and uh, we are now joined um, by the author of um, one of these these weekly pieces. Who from this week on, uh, from this week and moving moving on every week, will uh, discuss briefly uh, one of these uh, legends, and we'll discuss it here as well. So now it's time for Inter with Mister Critty Smith.
2: No, no, personaggio. Uh, che, che, che può essere sostituito perché era un personaggio assolutamente unico. Il fatto che abbia sempre uh, pensato e avuto nel cuore
0: due colori, il nero e l'azzurro. Right, Christopher, welcome to Studio Inter. Um, which uh, which uh, Inter legend have you decided to kick off uh, this series off with uh, this week? Uh,
4: said so today we're going to talk a little bit about Cristiano okay. Bobo Vieri.
0: Okay, Bobovieri, that's a controversial choice.
4: Yeah, well he's his he's controversial because his time at Inter is a very interesting one indeed. Uh the fact that he had the uh, uh you know obviously a very very tumultuous time in Inter history. He came in between some strikers uh we all very well know as Ronaldo and Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He was kind of slotted in between those. And uh, yeah, he's uh, you know he's attributed to um, a many Inter goals, but uh, you know was never able to really reach the top with Inter. So the closest he got, of course, was 2001, 2002, third place. Although they did finish in second place the year after, he was in first place with Inter with one match day left, and they uh, lost 4-2 to Lazio on the uh, final match day, which ended up dropping them from first place into third. Uh, good enough for Champions League. Um, he's a guy who, uh, obviously won, won Capo He did that in 0203, uh, it's also the, the furthest they advanced, uh, into the Champions League, uh, against, uh, rivals Milan, uh, they went, they advanced to the semifinals of the Champions League, uh, he got injured though, uh, and, and unfortunately, and we're, they were able to, uh, to, to capitalize with his, uh, him being absent, and were, able, were unable to defeat the, um, their hated rivals from across the town. So, uh, you know, it's it's also a time in Inter where, you know, not many titles were won. In fact, he didn't win anything until his final season, uh, which was a Coppa Italia, which, you know, it's um, kind of a consolation prize when you think about it. You know, they were trying to to get to the Scudetto, which they hadn't won at that point since 1989. Uh, unfortunately for him, after, after leading the team in goals scored uh, for five consecutive seasons, uh, it was finally uh, Adriano who uh, unseated him from that in his final season. Then Inter goes on to win uh, five consecutive Scudetti. So, I mean, he basically got out at the exact wrong time. But the question is, you know, how important was he to Inter's success? You know, where would the team have been without Vieri in the mix if he had not been this, uh, this pivotal figure in their in their attacking lineup? At the time when he was came over in 1999, he was actually the most expensive player in the world. Uh, so that was, um, you know, uh, is, is, is something to say for that time. You know, by today's uh, monetary figures, very small amount of money. But back then, you know, it was in the uh, 30 millions of euros. So he was um, he was quite expensive when he came over to, uh, to the San Siro. Uh, also, uh, you know, if you look at his final stats uh, in the league, he made 143 appearances, scored 103 goals. And, you know, was uh, Pele, uh, for the uh, FIFA centen- centenary, he was named one of the 125 greatest living footballers in the world. So, Vieri has, as an individual, uh, as solely if you go by statistics and what he accomplished as a footballer, quite impressive numbers. Um, but he was unable to really take Inter to the next level. He was unable to get that scudetto. He was unable to have the sustained success. In the Champions League, had the one great season in o two o three, but uh, you know, unlike the Gandhi Inter days or the days of Jose Mourinho, uh, there was uh, there there was he was just unable to, to get the job done. So that's why he's a controversial figure. He he has the numbers definitely to become uh, uh, you know an Inter legend, but uh, where does he fit with the club? How is he remembered by the supporters of the club? And um, so that's what we wanted to talk about today.
0: Well, Mo, you are, you you had um, you raised a, a voice, a dissenting voice, when you heard that we had Cristian Vieri, So I'm going to hand it over to you. Yeah,
2: look, um, I, I'm a i am was a big uh, Bobo fan when he was uh, when he played for Inter. It's uh, what happened afterwards that uh, left a bit of a bitter taste in my mouth. And look, I enjoy his uh silly Instagram posts uh as much as uh the next guy, you know, the bobo dance or the stupid uh cap dance that he has now, the Nikki dance <laughs> or the Nick dance. So so look, it's not like it's not like he's like a persona non grata amongst uh interisti. But the whole uh Calciopoli uh uh, Morati was bugging my phone, uh, the, this or that, and then he moves uh, and plays for uh, Milan. <sighs> you know, he, he's always been a he's always been a, a bit of a firecracker, and you know, as much as we love Inter, as much as we we are impassioned for uh, by by this club and and, and and we support the jersey, it's always it's always a bit hurtful when a player who you think gave his all for the club turns around after they leave and, and you know, you know, sticks a proverbial, um, you know, knife in your back. And and that's, that's, that's kind of how it felt with uh, Vieri after he left, uh, especially with the whole Cacciapoli thing, you know, like Inter had been fighting almost the entire peninsula. Yeah. Counter uh,
0: uh.
2: allegations of Uh, You you know, uh, we're we're the only clean club. uh, We're the only clean club, and this guy comes out and says, "No, Moratti bugged my phone, and Moratti did this, and Moratti did that," and and then he goes and plays for Milan.
0: That's the thing for me. For me, the thing that really leaves a bad taste in my mouth with him is the fact that he was given a free transfer. Uh, by Inter uh, because he said he wanted to leave. It was time to leave. You know he was getting on a bit. His contract was you know uh, he he wanted and They didn't want to renew it. Yeah exactly. And he wanted he wanted to leave. And uh, Moratti gave him that free transfer. And then he turns around and signs for Milan on a free transfer, which was a complete slap in the face of uh, Massimo Moratti uh, and the club at the time. But having said that he did have he did look like the biggest fool on the planet in he that played derby that garbage. no but not he only played that, that garbage. In, not only that in that particular derby the very first derby that season when inter under mancini beat uh, milan 3-2 and he's the one who comes on and he loses the header the aerial duel against adriano who heads in that 3-2 in the 90th minute that that kind of makes it, you know, for me. I, I forgave him after that because he, he kind of looked like a complete idiot um, in See, that uh, game.
2: You you, uh, <laughs> you make fun of Will for having a good memory, but this is uh, this is next level stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: you tell him,
1: Mo. <laughs>
0: No, but I never forget that. I, I remember this so clearly, because I mean, the way the the temperature was, you know, really grilled up ahead of that derby, and, and then Vieri comes on after Inter, you know, Oba Oba scored one, you know, gave Inter the... I mean, Adri- this was Adriano's best game in an Inter shirt, if you ask me. You know, he, he's, he, you know, Inter get a penalty, which was kind of not a penalty, then Milan get a penalty, which kind of wasn't a penalty. So it's 1-1 and then that free kick, Adriano, and then Oba Oba scores 2-1, and then Gapstam scores 2-2, and then you see, you know, Milan, you know, this was, you know, during a period when Inter really, really struggled to win the derbies. And then you have Vieri come on, which was like, it was like so typically, you know, Inter-Beffa kind of thing, wasn't it? Inter were going to screw this up somehow. And then in the 90th minute, Inter get a corner and Adriano wins the header against the, against Vieri and he scores that winner. And, f- and for me, I forgave Vieri for that uh, because he but just made himself look stupid.
2: What, what, what I'd, like,
0: uh, sorry, yes. if
2: I may, just uh, what I'd like to uh, like you know, uh, note is uh, w- what uh, Chris was saying, what Credit was saying was, you know, uh, Vieri did a whole lot but also did nothing. And for me, that phase, that, that particular phase from, from, let's say, 2000, from uh, post-2002 till uh, the Mancini-Mourinho era, that takes, this was just, uh, you know, the, high, the, the headline of that phase was Lost Potential. And there is no one that embodies and personifies this Lost Potential as much as Vieri, you know. And I think this is.
0: That's an interesting point. This I is
4: uh, my, my, my memory able to fulfill its potential. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sorry, Criddy. Yeah,
4: do? Nima. Nima. Yeah. The uh, it's funny. You and I talked about this uh, earlier this week uh, when we were discussing uh, about who we, who would be coming on uh, as the uh, the main topic. And when I looked at some of the comments on that particular article, it, he's a very polarizing figure because I had I had a few comments saying, you know, I grew up uh, Interisti in the early 2000s. Vieri is my guy. You know, he. When I think of Inter, I think of him. And I mean, if you're coming up as an eight, nine year old child, and now you're in your you know uh, 20s or whatnot, then maybe you you kind of identify him. Is that was the time when you when you started following the Nerazzurri and, and you, that was that was the he was the main the main the main figurehead. But you know, for 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 fans that especially that came from the uh, loto Mateos days that that have gone way back, you know, they don't really uh, for those for those types of uh, of supporters. I, I found a lot of backlash, you know, in in the sense of yeah, he really wasn't that special, scored a lot of goals, <laughs> but, but, but but you know didn't really didn't really uh, didn't really do much in, in that fact. But but you and I talked about this, and this is interesting. This is an interesting debate. If you take away, so if you just take away, if you end in stuff sort of in the 2005 2006 season, it's, um, before he goes to AC Milan. So so we're talking his you know the 04 05 season being his last uh, with Anedosuri. What is he? We were talking about his comparisons to to Mauro Icardi right now, and meaning you know has he won a Coppa Yes, he has. He. Has scored a lot of goals for Inter. He has, but but he's he's done nothing in terms of you know Coppa Italia, Scudetto, you know anything like that. It's 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 a lot of individual brilliance, but not followed up with a lot of uh, you know team success. And uh, you know obviously, Icardi's also had some controversial uh, uh, things regarding Wanda, regarding his book that he released a couple of years ago. He's had the uh, the, the the incident with the curva. So. It's kind of – you and I talked about this, and it's, it's such an interesting thing to compare the two because they are a little bit controversial. Maybe uh, at this point, uh, Vieri a little bit more. Icardi seems to have endeared himself to the supporters a little bit more at this point and redeemed himself. But uh, they're both uh, both very prolific number nines. They both scored a lot of goals, have scored a lot of goals. Icardi continues to do so, but yet there's a lot missing on the other end of that.
0: Well, may, I, well, may I
4: may
2: I may I jump in here and yeah, just say something it. just uh yeah. Go for it. Icardi overachieved in an underachieving side, while the underachieved in an overachieving side. Mm. They're the complete opposite. They're they're the complete opposite. Vieri had come in into the side that was completely bankrolled by Moratti and had the you know the world as their oyster the like ambition was set at, at nothing but the Scudetto and the Champions League and this is what they were running for and they failed. Icardi is the only bright light in the bleakest of bleak periods that we have lived through. Mm-hmm. You know, and he he has been the only guy he like despite against all odds, despite all circumstances being against this guy playing with a bunch of, you know, clowns for for many of the last 6 years. This guy was able to reach Capo joint with Tony and joint with Immobili. So I I think, you know, while the headlines can read the same in the sense that, you know, prolific strikers who have done little to bring silverware to their sides, the circumstances could not be more different. One guy in Vieri had, like, um, you know, everything given to him in terms of, like, a supporting ten other players on the pitch, while this other guy, Icardi, has had no one and was and yet remained and continued to remain the bandiera of the club. And, you know, so so I, I understand what you're saying here, but I think I think the compa- like Icardi for me, like as as an old schooler, Lothar Mateos, cynical interista for, for close to four decades now. Um there can be, There can be no comparison between what Icardi means, even if Icardi leaves at the end of the season and goes to Chelsea or to Real Madrid or to wherever his his legacy at the club is will forever be untarnished because of the sacrifices that he personally made for the club in the darkest of times, whereas Vieri did the complete opposite you know so That's yeah. an
4: excellent point excellent point
0: That's an excellent point. Well, this is kind of what we wanted to do uh, with the Inter Legends part, uh, to create some debate and and, uh, and um, you know uh, and hear the opposite side, because there's a lot of polarizing players. I mean, Vieri, Vieri scored a lot of goals at Inter, uh, but he's a polarizing character. Um, uh, let us know what you guys think. Tweet uh, tweeted at us at, uh, using the hashtag InterLegends. Um, and uh, we'll be. This is a weekly thing we'll be doing every week now. And uh, Chris uh, Critty will join us next week to for another uh, for another Interlegend. Um, Absolutely,
4: it's
0: great having you on, and I'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you next week. Thank you very much, guys. I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Okay, ciao. Well, uh, now we've come to the part of the show where we pay tribute, rip the piss out of and uh, criticize someone or something in the world of football heavily, starting with the positive side, this week's Moratti, which will be presented by Mr. Mohamed Nasser. He works a lot,
2: he's intelligent, and he surprises people sometimes with his ideas. Not easy to find one person of this (laughs) qualities. Hey guys, so it's uh, quite difficult to find positivity in a uh, international break week because there's really nothing interesting going on. But, uh, but, uh, the only, uh, relevant, uh, you know, piece of positivity I could find for Interlisti is, uh, Icardi's uh, Instagram, uh, where, uh, during the Argentinian, uh, international break in Saudi Arabia, they played in, uh, Riyadh and Jeddah. And, almost all social outings there's a picture you know of the whole team sitting down and it's always Icardi sat next to Lautaro Icardi and Lautaro and it seems like these two guys are just getting on and you know we, we all know all the inter- interviews that Lautaro made at the beginning of the season talking about how Icardi was his mentor and he took him in and showed him the ropes and and it's just so nice to see these two guys hanging out in a setting that is different from you know, from Apiano, from uh, the Neratsuri shirts, from training. And they still get along. And it's nice to see, like, these are my dudes, you know, my dudes together. And, uh, yeah, so that's my um, a bit of a silly Marathi, but uh, it's my Marathi of the week.
0: Nice one, nice one. Yeah, um, right, let's move on to a slightly uh, more comical aspect of life, this week's Frog, which will be presented by Mr. Will Beckman.
1: Clamoroso! Yes, the frog making a well, my frogs making a triumphant return after their, their hiatus. Um, this <laughs> one is not actually—it's uh, not actually football-related, but it is sport-related, and it's too good not to talk about. Uh, it comes from the world of rugby, which is a sport that I haven't always followed with um, incredible attention, but uh, I did come across something which was just, you know, it was almost as if he'd done it because he knew I needed a frog for this week. It was, it's just perfect frogness. Um, if we think back to, to why this, this particular world was invented. Um, so it's Freddie Burns, who is uh, a rugby player who plays for the Bath. Uh, he was playing in what I think is essentially rugby union's equivalent of the Champions League uh, against Toulouse. Um, this is their first to the opening match of the tournament in their group. Uh, it was very close. There was five minutes left. Bath needed a try to win. Uh, and he was about to score it. He was delighted with himself. He ran through. He was smiling. He started celebrating. And then one of the opposing players sort of ran from behind and uh, knocked the <laughs> ball out of his hands. And he fell flat on his face and not only in a literal sense because bath lost the game by two points as a result and he was forced into the meeliest most unconvincing of apologies on social media and now he looks like a complete fool and he is the frog to end all frogs this week so if you haven't seen it just search freddie burns on Twitter Freddy with the IE and the video will be there it's very very awkward <laughs> and the best thing is he got substituted straight afterwards so there was no soft touch from his coach <laughs>
0: that's very that's very very funny um i love when people oh that's that's hilarious that's a good frog right um let's uh, move on to slightly negative things this week's moji which i will be presenting myself Right, um, this uh, this week uh, when the city reopens, um, uh, Juventus curva, uh, where their the curva Sur, where their hardcore fans will uh, stand, will be uh, banned, uh, and it will be instead. Uh, the reason for that is because of the racist chants that they ch- chanted. Uh, against Napoli as well as the territorial discrimination insults um, that were chanted during the Napoli game before the international break uh, which is an utter disgrace uh, the racism just doesn't belong in football and it was all of it directed at Koulibaly who won the game for Napoli last season um, so it's, it's simply just a case of sour grapes turned into foul mouth and this kind of behavior doesn't belong in a civilized discourse in 2018. So, uh, that's why Juventus, Kurba are uh, 20, uh, this, week's, uh, this week's Moji. Right. Um, that's all we have time for this week. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Leonard Eagarskjöld-Nilsson. I'd like to thank Chris Smith. And I'd also like to thank you, Mo. Thank you, thank you, thank you. At M. Nassar. Uh, on twitter and uh at will underscore Beckman, I think it is. It is yes. The underscore
1: may be disappearing, but for the moment, it is will underscore back.
0: Well, (laughs) well, you'll all that that'll that'll be the cliff. That'll be the cliffhanger for this week. (laughs) If Will has changed, find out next week.
1: Come back next week
0: to find out. To find out. Social social media handle. Exactly. (laughs) Never tweets. Yes. Which (laughs) that's the cliffhanger. We'll all have to see if the underscore will the underscore survive this week. (laughs) <laughs> know. We'll, we'll know um and we'll also be discussing it'll be next.
1: forced underground
0: <laughs> depends on the result there's a lot of, there's a lot of riding this sunday um yeah. right. Uh, thank until...
1: for, <laughs> right thank you for that's thank you for i don't know thank you for coming back <laughs> thank you for welcoming me <laughs> back to, to, your, to
0: your podcast welcome area. back Great to have you back, and as always, my name is Niva Tavalloi wishing you a good week, three points, a derby win, and sempre e solo, Forza Inter.